Okay, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're continuing, of course, angels and demons. And, I mean, this, this is the class we are looking at. And, by the way, either at the end of the lesson tonight or next week, I'm going to, because people are already saying, what are we going to do next year, next, next semester? And you know what? I, this is Usually I'm way ahead. Like I've already said, well, this is what I'm going to do this semester. And all. We all know next fall we'll do the 2-2. But this semester and this next semester coming up, I've got six different studies that we can do. So what I thought, if you want, I'll bring, and we'll list them like next week or the week. Just list the six studies and let you decide if y'all want to come back. I mean, if you want to keep coming <laughs> next semester, you can help pick out which one we want to do. Does that sound okay? Okay, so we'll, we'll do that. But um, when we think about uh, these angels and these spirit beings created by God, they're all over the Bible from the beginning to the end. They're created by God. Something happened in eternity past that one of the lead angels, which we called, or which the Bible calls the anointed cherub, rebelled against God. Seeking to be like God, he pulled some other angels with him. And there was a rebellion. Most of the angels stayed with God, which we call them cho- chosen angels or elect angels or good angels. And, but some followed this angel called Lucifer. And when we think of angels as two big groups, the good angels, which basically serve God and man, and the bad angels, which oppose God and man. In our study, we looked first for the first four lessons, only the first four lessons we dealt with angel, the good angels. We saw all that they did and how they related to Christ and, the, and to God the Father and to us and everything. And then we started looking at the, what we call the dark side. And we started looking at twofold things, Satan and the demons. Most of the lessons are on Satan himself because what, what we know about Satan also ties into the demons. And so for these few lessons we've been looking at, uh, the, Satan, and then the final, let's see, uh, lessons tw- 12 and 13 are going to be on the demons. And what we're going to do in that is not only we're going to talk about the demons, but we're going to talk about the occult because it all ties together. False worship, anything basically worshiping or looking or going contrary to God himself is satanic worship. And so we're going to talk about the cults, and we're going to talk about psychics, and we're going to talk about witch- witches, and we're going to talk about... Uh, UFOs, and we're going to talk about a lot of different things in those last couple of lessons. So right now, we're really looking at, the, we're still looking at the devil. And what we do, this lesson, we get the details, and if you notice at the top, it says, we're getting the details on Satan's plan as he opposes mankind. Satan's plan as he opposes mankind. And we remember this, and it, this is just sometimes hard for us to grasp, he hates us. He wants to be worshipped. He hates us. He wants to be like God. So this evening we're going to focus on Satan and mankind. And we're going to look at three things. You see them right here. In the what? In the garden. We're going to see. We'll go back real quickly. Just touch on it. In the garden. Then we're going to talk about how he deals with unbelievers. And then we're going to talk about how he deals with believers. So there's a lot tonight. Well, the most important message of all is found in Romans 1.16. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the what? The gospel. It is the power of God unto to everyone who believes. And so when we start thinking about the gospel, we talk about the good news message of Jesus Christ. And when we think about that, there are really two aspects when we say gospel. First of all, we talk about the gospel message. And then we talk about the gospel response. What is the gospel message? It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message. Do we know that? Can all they all could all say that, right? What is the gospel message? Jesus came to the earth and did what? Died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again to conquer death. That's the gospel message. 
Okay, now, that's the message we proclaim. The response to that is to what? To believe. We want people to believe the message. We want to believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. We want to believe the promise that he says, He died and rose again. Whoever believes in him will never perish but have what? Everlasting life. So that's what we see. And uh, sometimes we see people who get the, they never even get the gospel right. You start asking them and you say, what's the gospel message? They don't really know. Even sometimes when people get the gospel message right, they don't have the response right. They say things like, repent of your sins or give your life to Jesus or ask Jesus to come into your heart or agree to serve him, make him Lord of your life, do all these kind of things. So my question is when we, when we look down, why is there so much confusion? You know why? Because the devil has a false gospel. He has a message that has been from the beginning that has confused mankind on the simplicity of the gospel. See, people want to make everything confusing, and it is not confusing. God, the, perfect, the story of the Bible is what? Perfect God brings what? Sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. How did he do that? He sent Jesus to come to the earth and do what? Die on the cross to pay for sin, rise again to conquer death, and whoever believes has eternal life. It is that simple. Now, it's confused all over the place. You read books and you, read, you hear people on the radio and the TV and, and you're going, what did they just say? It doesn't even make sense in some of the things they say. I, I've got tracks and I'll go get a track and it'll say that salvation is a gift by faith. So if you'd like to be saved, please pray the following prayer. Oh Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. I agree to turn away from all my sin. I agree that I will live for you this moment on and that you will... Oh, that's not the salvation. That's not the, the response. They just said earlier in the track that salvation is a gift, but when they get to the part of how you get it, they tell you to work for it. It's that way all the time. Be very careful that if you're going to hand out something, you're going to talk about something, make sure that you read that thing and it's correct because the devil has a false gospel. And we're going to see how all this fits together tonight as we see the devil and his plan as he opposes mankind, both believers and unbelievers. And as we begin, if you, if you, that toward the bottom of the page, we said when you think about the devil, there are really sort of two dangers. One is to take him too lightly. In other words, th th there's so many people that what, the, and devil would love this. The devil would love for, you to, for people to think that he doesn't exist, that, that he's not serious, he's not important, he doesn't exist. So one, one danger of the devil is that you take him too lightly, like he's nothing. He, there's no such thing. I mean, I've had people say, of course there's no such thing as the devil. It's made up by man you know, to, to have something to blame our, our evil on, you know. But then the other danger is to take him too seriously, and meaning that he affects everything, and that every time we sin is because the devil made me do it, and that the devil's just as powerful as God and all those kind of things. So both are wrong. Uh, he, he, we don't want to take him lightly, but we don't want to take him too seriously either, because he's not God. He's just an angel. And so when we think about that, uh, uh, he's, he's a major force in the world, but at the same time, uh, we understand how, how there is. There has to be a balance. In fact, if you notice 1 Peter 5, I told you to turn to 1 Peter 5. Look at verse 8. It says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a what? Roaring lion. So he is a roaring lion. And he wants to devour us. That's what he wants to do. He wants to kill you. He wants to kill you. I saw a movie once that was about, um, uh, about uh, uh, the people that were on a safari in Africa, and they would, they would have set up camp, but uh, around them was this uh, a man-eating lion. 
you know, not all lions are man-eating. I mean, yeah, once they sometimes eat people, then they go after people. And this lion was doing that. And boy, he would jump, he'd come in at night and go right into the camp and just grab a person and kill, and you know, and just drag them out. And, and that's what Satan wants to do with you and me. He wants to stop us any way he can, any way he can, anything that he can do that would stop us, that's his plan. He's like a roaring lion. And this evening, we're looking at him. He's called the prince of the power of the air. He's called the ruler of this world. He's called the roaring lion. He's called a liar and a murderer. He is called the anointed cherub who is the fallen one. So in this lesson, Satan's attacks on mankind, believers and unbelievers. And let's think about uh, the overall purpose and plan. If you remember, I got right here the plan. What's the plan for the unbelievers? What does he want? That people will never trust Christ. That's it. It doesn't matter. And one, one of the things that most people don't realize, he would love for people to go to church. If they think by going to church, they're okay. Uh, he would love people to be religious. In fact, the whole world is full of religion. We're going to even see the occult as religion. The cults and the occult are all false religions. Almost, and every religion of the world is a false religion. He would rather all the people be tied up into Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam and, and uh, everything you could name. He, he didn't care. He'd rather them all worship something that's wrong. Because if you think you're right, you're never going to go for the truth. So he, he doesn't, you know, he, he wants unbelievers never to understand and put their faith in Christ. That's why he hates our message, because it is clear, and it's simple. Susie talked to a person today, and, and she, Susie explained to that person, John 3.16, and the person said, so all you have to do is believe, right? Is that it? You understand Jesus is the Son of God who died and rose again, and you believe in him for eternal life. That's that simple. He doesn't want anybody in this world to understand that message and believe in Jesus. Now, the second part is for believers, and, and it's too late because we've already trusted Christ, and so we have eternal life, and we're saved. He can't do anything about it. Nothing can change it. But what he wants us to do is never what? Never serve. He doesn't want us to be used by God. He doesn't want us to grow. He wants to keep you from serving. And he can do that in all kind of ways. I mean, anything that, anything that gets your focus off living for Christ... And sometimes it's the cares of the world, and sometimes it's the riches of the world. And any of that will just pull us away. I, I said that he uses the three Ds, doubt, division, and discouragement. That's what he would love to do. Anything he can do to stop for us from serving Jesus Christ. Because if you serve Christ, what's going to happen? Huh? Well, you're gonna, yeah, you're going to tell people, you're going to touch lives down here, but when you stand before Jesus, what's he going to say? Well, well done. And say, Satan doesn't want that. He doesn't want any of that. And, and he really knows that if you serve, what's going to happen to some of these unbelievers? They may believe, and he doesn't want them to believe. So he's trying to stop the whole thing. So let, let's, let's, let's see his plan of attack. And let's start with the fall of man. That's what we got there, the fall of man in Genesis 3. We don't have to go all the way back there to look at it, but just remember this. In the fall of man, he caused the fall. Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit. It was their decision, but he influenced them. And, and if you want to write out there, he is a liar. That's what he is, right? And if you want to write out beside that, ver that little place that says he is a liar, just write John 8, 44. Because John 8.44 says he's a liar from the beginning. That's who he is. He's a liar. And think about this. When he came 
to Adam and Eve, basically. And he basically came to Eve. Adam was there. Her name wasn't Eve then. She was woman. She was Isha. Ish is the Hebrew word for man. Isha is the Hebrew word for woman, which means out of man. He had a name, Adamah, which means dirt. And she didn't have a name. She didn't have a name till after the fall. Later she became Eve, which means mother of living. So there was Adamah, who is the Ish, and the Isha. And he came to the Isha, he came to the woman, and he planted some doubts. And if you remember, what were they? The two things, one and two. What did doubt God's what? Doubt God's love and doubt God's word. And that's what he wanted to do. And the bottom line, he said, has God said that you can't eat from every tree? What's the doubt there? Well, she said, well, no, 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 we can, we can eat from every tree except this one, and we're not supposed to touch it or eat from it. Well, the bottom line is, he said, why is God holding something? You know, uh, God really loved you. He'd let you eat from every tree. If God really loved us, wouldn't he let us do anything we want to do? If God really loved us, wouldn't God let us do anything we want to do? Drink ourselves to death. Right? I mean, think about it. If you fulfill the lust of your flesh, what will happen to you? You'll die. Yeah. So God, God's love says there are certain things I don't want you to do because they're not good for you. Right? So, but Satan said if God really loved you, he'd let you eat from every tree. And then what was the second thing? To doubt God's what? Well, because she said if we touch it or eat from it, we will what? And he said you will surely not die. So he called God a liar. And he wanted her to doubt the Word of God. And that's what he wants you to do. He wants you to doubt the Bible. He does. That's why one of the issues people say is, how do we know the Bible is from God? Well, because you want to say, well, see, this might be from God, but this isn't from God. Maybe this is from God, but this isn't from God. Well, I think maybe Jesus is from God, but the part about Jonah and the fish, no, that's not true. And they didn't part the Red Sea and all these things. That's not really true. And, and so people want to doubt the miracles, and they want to doubt certain parts of the Bible because it doesn't seem that it could be real. But there could be a real person named Jesus. But, and so then you begin to doubt which part is, which part is right and which part isn't right? It's all, exactly. But if you doubt it, you begin to say, well, that seems pretty weird, Genesis chapter 6. It seems pretty weird to me, a talking donkey. It seems pretty weird to me that an angel killed 185,000 soldiers. That seems pretty weird to me. It seems pretty weird to me. So you begin to... That, that, he wants you to doubt it. Listen, I... When I went to seminary, I, I, look, I've, I, when I trusted Christ, I've always, I've always believed the Bible, even though I didn't even know anything about the Bible growing up, but I always thought the Bible was, was the Bible, and it was God's Word. I trusted Christ. I studied the Bible. I loved it. I went off to seminary. I studied in Hebrew and Greek. I studied it. I've done textual criticism. I've gone as pretty deep. And the deeper I go, the more I believe it is God's Word. It is perfect and accurate. Now, I know some people go off to seminary, and then they doubt God's word, and they, they get out of the ministry, or they come back and lead everybody else astray. The more I dig it, the more I looked at it, even the, it, just digging it in just Greek in the New Testament, the more you look at it, and the deeper you get into it, I did, this textual criticism is, how do you look at all the different texts? There's over 5,000 Greek manuscripts. There's over 10,000 other manuscripts. So that means there's at least 15,000 manuscripts just of the New Testament. We're not even talking about Old Testament. Just of the New Testament. 
they're, they're copies after copies after copies after copies after copies. So they're all over the place. And the deeper you dig into them, the more you go, oh my gracious. And the more you study it, whether it's in English or whatever language you want to study it in, the more you study it, the more you see it fitting together perfectly. He wants you to doubt that this is accurate and true. What if people say, oh, that Bible has a lot of what? Yeah, show me one. Anybody got one? People say, oh, the Bible has a lot of errors. I always go, give me one. Let's show me one and let's go look at it together. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know where one is right now, but I know they're in there. I said, well, just show me where one is. Go find it. Take a couple of weeks. Go find one. Come back and let's, let's look at it together. The Bible is perfect. So he wants you to doubt what? His love and his word. And that's what he did to them. And they, they, uh, they failed. That's a great, that's a great question. That, that, uh, some people say, well, the Bible says thou shalt not kill, but then God sent the nation of Israel in and they killed a whole bunch of people. Or the Bible says that if a man sheds a man's blood by a man's hand. Okay, you understand that there's two different Hebrew words there in the thou shalt not kill? That's the Hebrew word for murder. There's another Hebrew word that just means to put to death. And so when it says thou shalt not kill, it's actually saying thou shalt not murder, which is to kill in the wrong way, you know what I'm saying. So it, it, it doesn't contradict itself. And why did God tell, why did God tell, this is going hard now, this is really hard. Here's this group of people living in, his, in the land that God had promised to the people. Why did he tell them to wipe them out? Because what? They wouldn't be in the, listen, if they went in among the pagans, what's, what are they going to do? They're gonna, and, and they did do that. They didn't wipe them all the way out. They killed a lot of them. They didn't wipe them all the way out, and they ended up... Why, why, was, why was the nation of Israel removed from the land? Because they accepted and worshipped the false gods of the people that God said remove from the land. And they ended up getting removed from the land. So, when you, I know, and, and that doesn't satisfy some people. They say, well, they still killed a bunch of people. Yeah, they, they did. They did. Once again, murder and putting somebody to death are two different things. If a person, let's say a person kills this person, that's what? That's called what? Murder. Now, the Bible says in Romans 13 and in Genesis 9 that when a person murders someone, he is to be what? Put to death. So the death penalty, I'm for the death penalty. Yeah, and let me just tell you this. If the, guy, if the death penalty guy is put to death, he's not going to kill anybody else again. It's too late, yeah, for him. So what I'm getting at is there's a difference between murder and the state or the government, which is Genesis 9 and Romans 13, the government of the state putting a criminal murderer to death. Nation of Israel, if a person murdered, they were put to death. Under the Mosaic law, if a person murdered, murdered somebody else, they were put to death by the people. So there is a difference between murdering and killing. But, okay. Okay, well, we better go a little further. Okay, so where are we? Okay, we had that doubt God's love and doubt God's word. And she did. She did both. She wondered if God had actually told her or that it was really right that they shouldn't eat from everything and that it would make her wise and she'd be like God and God was lying. So they took the fruit and they died. And that, from that point on, that's God's plan to destroy mankind. And, and he does it to both unbelievers and believers to doubt God's word and to doubt God's love. God in his grace and mercy saves mankind. That's the story of the Bible. Perfect God brings sinful man back to himself. Now, Satan is now the ruler of this world. 
And that doesn't seem right for a lot of people. A lot of people say, that doesn't seem right. But if you remember, who was supposed to be the ruler of the world? Adam was. He said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the world. You're the king of the world. You're the ruler of the world. And when he sinned, he lost it. And Satan is the ruler of the world. And one of these days, Jesus Christ is going to come as the king of kings, and he'll be the ruler of the world. So as we look at this, let's, let's look now, if you get right down under the one, two there, we're going to see Satan's attack on the unbelievers. And remember, what's the plan? Never what? Never trust Christ. Never, never understand the grace message. Listen, people don't under, there are people who are Christians who don't understand the grace message, right? I mean, I talk to people all the time who say, it's more than believing. It's more than believing. You've got to be willing to do this. You've got to do this. Or you've got to prove you're saved by doing good works. And if you don't do good works, you never were saved. So you have good works for salvation one way or the other. So let's look at it. Uh, Satan's attack on the unbelievers. Here's the first thing that he does, and we're going to go through it. He blinds the unbeliever. He blinds them. He blinds them. And what where I, the idea there is he, he, he fixes it where they can't necessarily see the truth. And let me, let me explain how that works. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So just turn back so you can see this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Some of this is a little bit hard, and we're going to have to talk through it and see how it fits together. Everybody back to 2 Corinthians 4. If you should have it, number one there, he blinds the unbeliever. And if you look at verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, and Paul has been talking about the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of telling people about Christ, all this. He says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose what? Lose heart. We don't want to lose heart. Listen, I, all of us in this room are in ministry. You understand that. I get paid for it. I get paid to be good. You're good for nothing, right? Okay. <laughs> I had to use that one. But anyway, the bottom line, the bottom line is this. Are we all, are we all in ministry? Yes. We are. We are. Some seem to be in ministry more than others. <laughs> but the bottom line is we're in ministry. And we do not want to lose what? Lose heart. Because let me tell you, when you start serving, when you start being used, when you start touching lives... Sometimes it gets hard. And let me tell you, who's against you if you're touching lives for Jesus Christ? The whole, the whole thing. And so uh, we, our labor is not in vain. Now look what he goes on in verse 2 and says, But we have renounced the hidden things of the shame, and we don't walk in craftiness or adulterating the Word of God, but the manifestation of the truth. And he talks about that. And then look at verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, what does veiled mean? It means covered up. And, and we'd say, is the gospel veiled? To, to some it is. Now watch. If our, go, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are what? Perishing. It's the unbelievers. Now watch. In whose case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Now, I want you to notice, it doesn't say he blinds them so they cannot believe. It says he has blinds those who are unbelieving. They're already not believing. He doesn't stop them from not believing. They already are unbelieving. So he blinds them. And we're going to talk about that. What does that mean? That means that sometimes... It happens to people who continually, and let's put it this way, who continually reject the truth. 
that sometimes it gets to the point where they can't grasp it. They can't see it. He blinds them. It seems to indicate those that do not believe and continue to reject. And see, that's why it scares me on some people who you may have talked to over and over about Christ and they continually reject and continually reject and continually reject. There may come a time where they won't be able to grasp it anymore. It may be. The Bible talks about God giving people over. What is the part that says, do not cast your pearls before what? So what does that mean? Does anybody know what that means? When somebody continually rejects the message of Christ, there comes a time when you say, I'm, I, you know, I, there's not much I can do anymore. Let me show you something that you may not have ever seen. I want you to look at Mark chapter 4. Just flip to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And this is the famous parable, the sower. The sower went, you know, and threw the seed out. You remember that parable? The guy goes out, help me, help me. Remember, he went out and he threw that out first. Where did it go? Where does the first seed go? It went on the road and it just, it couldn't even get in there. Then he threw some seed and it went where? It went into some soil and it was kind of shallow soil. So it received, it just popped straight up. And then when the sun came, it kind of wilted on down. Then he threw it and it landed over and the thorns and thistles grew up and it never did anything. And then he threw it in what they call good soil and it was 30, 60, and 100, right? Okay. Now, so here's the deal. What happened? What, who, who are the believers in that parable? Huh? No, all, all but one is believers. Listen to this. Mark 4, 4. He said, The sower went to sow, and he was, he was sowing. Some of the seed fell by the road. The birds came and got it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, didn't have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil, and sun risen, it got scorched. Other seed fell among the thorns. Thorns came up and choked it out. And other seed fell in the good soil, and they grew up and increased and yielded a crop. So he said, Whoever has ears, let them hear it. Let me tell you what that means. That means if you're, really, if you're listening, you can grasp this. If you're not listening, you're not going to grasp it. That's why he did the parables. See, the people who rejected him, they didn't understand the parables. The people that believed in him got understood the parables. So he comes back and he says, explain the parable. So he said in verse 13, do you not understand the parable? How will you understand? The sower sows the what? Are you at verse 14? The sower sows the what? The word, okay? The, the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown, when they hear, immediately Satan comes, takes away the word which has been sown in them. What does he do? He takes away the... Message. Now, the people who are on the hard ground, these are the people that aren't listening. These are the people who don't care. These are the people that Satan blinds, okay? They're unbelieving. And they, in a sense, almost, they never get the message here. In fact, in Luke 8, we'll get to it in just a minute, but in Luke it says, they will not believe and be saved. Satan comes and takes it away. I want you, by the way, I want you to go to see. In similar way, those who the seed was sown in the rocky places, they hear the word and they immediately receive it with joy. What does that mean? They believe it. If, did you receive the word with joy when you heard? Right? Okay, so, so is number two a believer? Of course he is. What happens? But they have no firm root in themselves, and it's only temporary. And when the afflictions and the persecutions arise, they fall away. Is falling away means they lose their salvation? Does falling away mean they never had their salvation? Are there many believers who are not rooted and grounded in the truths of the Word of God? Of course, this is just a person that's a believer who trusted Christ. But we see many people who, who if you ask them, are you growing as a Christian? And they go, what are you talking about? Right? They don't even know what we're talking about. But look at the third one. And the others are the ones... Seed among the thorns. These are the ones who've heard the word, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness and the desires. Choke it all out and they become what? 
unfruitful. These are the ones that believe, but it's all choked out. And last but not least, and those are the woods the seed was sown on the good soil. They hear the word, and they bear fruit 30, 60, 100. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit, John 15. So I just want you to see that Satan actually, on some people, takes away the message. Now, it's not so that they can never believe. It's because they haven't believed in the past, and they continually reject. Does that make sense? That's hard. That means that you may know people who, if you have talked to them about Christ over and over again, and it may come a time when they won't be able to grasp it anymore, and that Satan blinds them, Satan veils it. They just don't see it. Now, whose fault is that? It's their fault. Not your fault, and it's not God's fault. It's their fault. Okay, that's tough, man. You know what? Let's move on to the next one. As Prof. Hendricks used to say, that's too convicting. Convicting. Let's move on to the next area. Number two, there, or uh, is um, he has a false system and message of salvation. He does. This is how he deals with unbelievers. He has a false system. I think we're right. We're right there, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Does anybody know where we are? What, what's wrong? Did I do something wrong? Just Luke 8, 12. Oh, Luke 8. I, I just read that verse. It says, they will not believe and be saved. Okay, sorry. Y'all tell me if I'm not doing good. The top of the page says, the God of this age has blinded. That's what that says. The God of this age has blinded. He's blinded the unbelievers. Okay, Satan takes away the word, and then on Luke eight twelve, they will not believe and be saved. Now, that's a hard truth. But what it boils down to is when people continually reject the truth over and over again, there may come a time when they, get, they don't grasp it, and Satan blinds them. Okay? Number two, the big number two, is he has this false system and message of salvation. He has a false system. And it's a false gospel. In fact, it by, first, by Galatians 1, 6 through 9, put a false gospel. By the way, what is the false gospel of Satan? Yeah, you're saved by what? Saved by works. That's his message, isn't it? In fact, that's why salvation is by works. Put that in there. It's a, our gospel message is very simple. Jesus died and rose again, and whoever believes in him has eternal life. Satan's gospel is very simple. Whoever does good can gain life with God. Do good and God will love you. You can't do good and God already loves you. He has a lie. It's always been that from the very beginning. And he has a gospel of works. He has a whole system of works. Where do you think the message of works comes from? Does it come from the Bible? Tell me anywhere in the Bible that it says you're saved by works. Where does it come from? comes from Satan. That's his plan. That's his, his deal. Okay? So he had his message is, is uh, Paul talked about his message was Christ crucified. Let me ask you something. When you walk out these doors and you go into the community, do you go with a mindset that you have the greatest message that people, most of them, have never heard or never heard it clearly, and you have the privilege of telling them the greatest message of all that will change their lives, that will take them from death to life, from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of the living God. You have that message. We have that message. Are we going out these doors and we're saying to ourselves, we've got a clear message. It's not confusing. Let me tell you, if I said to somebody, listen, you can be saved if you'll repent of your sins and give your life to Jesus and agree to serve him. 
what does that mean to that person? Okay, what do you mean repent of my sins? I got to turn away. Okay, I'm doing like 20,000 things wrong. How do I turn away from all that? And do I, what do you mean give my life to Jesus? That means I got to serve him. And what if I'd not served him? What if I look up two weeks from now and I'm still sinning? That means obviously it didn't take. It didn't work, right? So I'm not saved or either I'm saved and lost it or I never got saved. I don't ever know. Are we going out with a message that's going to confuse people? Or are we going out with a message that's going to be clear as a bell? Satan's message is confusing. It's always do this, do this, do this, do this, and people are confused. That's why. That's what he wants. That's why if the unbeliever never understands his faith alone and Christ alone, he's happy about it. The issue is this. Let me just, I'm going to take five, two minutes to show about this, and this is it. There is a salvation message, which is by faith in Christ for eternal life. Is that right? And it costs us what? Nothing. There is a discipleship message, which is what? It's by work, so to speak. It's when you offer your life, Romans 12, 1 and 2, offer your life as a living sacrifice, and it costs you what? Your life, okay? Now, we already saw on Sunday morning, Matthew, that, that when he, Jesus goes by the Sea of Galilee and he sees James and John and says, follow me, and he sees Andrew and Peter and he says, follow me, that's not salvation message. If you go back to the Gospel of John, they've already believed in him. They've already seen him change the water to wine. They've already been him with him at the, Canaan of, the wedding of Cana of Galilee. They're already believers. They already have faith, and it costs them absolutely nothing. He goes by the Sea of Galilee and says, Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. That's discipleship. Now, we make the distinction, and it's very clear. What does salvation cost you? Absolutely nothing. What does discipleship cost you? Your life. Now, Rick is exactly right. Many churches take these messages and they make them the same. And they say, yeah, it's by faith in Christ, but you've got to do good works to be saved. And so they put together the discipleship message and the salvation message, and they confuse it. And that's why people say, well, in order to be saved, you give your life to Jesus and make a public profession and walk down an aisle and serve Him. And what they've done is take discipleship and make that the salvation message. And it confuses everything. Anytime you confuse what we'd call justification from sanctification or salvation from Christian life, you confuse the gospel message and the salvation message. And it's everywhere. It's everywhere. In fact, I'm just going to be really honest with you. It is very rare to find a clear message of salvation. Am I right or wrong? Is it rare? It's very rare because people confuse it all the time. And Satan loves it. He loves it. Because let me tell you, if you think it's this to get saved, you're probably not saved. And even if you did get saved because somehow you believed in Jesus, you never know if you are or not. You're always confused. You don't know whether you got it, uh, you, maybe you lost it, maybe you never had it, maybe you had it and lost it, maybe, and you just don't know. And it breaks your heart. So he has a false message of salvation. The third thing down there is he has a false lifestyle. He has a false lifestyle. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, They walked according to the course of this world. It's at the bottom of the page where it says number 3, where it says he has a false, that has a false lifestyle. And then where it says Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, underneath it, it says, According to the course of this world. They lived according. That's how, that's how unbelievers live. They live according to the course of this world. You know what the world says? 
power is what counts. That's why I want to get elected to a position. I want to get elected to an office so I can have some power. I want to be in a position of responsibility somewhere so I can have some power because power is what counts. Or the world says what counts is money. The more money you got, the better you are. The more money you are, you can look down on other people. The bigger the house you got, the more cars you got, the more stuff you have. Because that's what the world says. The world says what's important is money. The world says what's important is power. The world says what's important is fulfilling your fleshly desires. You know, like those commercials, you know, it doesn't get any better than this, you know. Uh, yeah, it does. It gets a lot better than some of that stuff when you're puking and throwing up and everything else. I can still remember as a single guy, I remember I was, I was coaching. And so, you know, coaching, you don't, you know, you, all you do is coach. You don't have time to do anything else. And I can still remember one night I, I'd come off practice and I came home and I was by myself, you know. And so I went into like a 7-Eleven and I was going to get a Coke or something. And I saw these young girls coming in and they had just, you know, Cases, what, I don't even know what you call them, cartons of beer, you know, and they were buying, well, we're going to have some fun tonight. I was just watching them, and I thought, they really think that's fun. That's what the world tells them. Let's go get drunk. Let's go get, you know, or, or people, you know, and I just want to look at them and say, you're missing it. You're missing it. You, you know, the, the, that's, you know, that's a false lifestyle. Money, possessions, power, it's all temporal, right? There is a temporal view and a world view, okay? What you looking for, Susie? Oh, okay. No, I'm, we're not there yet. We're still on the bottom of this page, but you're okay. You're okay. Are you sure about that? Yeah, I'm sure about it. I'm still, we're still at the bottom of the page where it says, according to the course of this world. Okay? You can go to the top of the next page if you want to, but I'm not there yet. But anyway, the, the bottom line is, listen, let me tell you what he says, what the unbeliever, he wants the unbeliever to believe, that Satan is not real, that man is sovereign, sin is not bad, it's natural, and do what you want to do because you live for today because tomorrow you may die. Right? Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you may what? Die. This is all there is. This is all there is. And if this is all there is, you better go for all the gusto you can because this is all there is. And that's what he wants man to believe. So what does he do? He blinds those who do not believe. He gives a false message of work, and he has a false lifestyle. So let's go to the top of the next page, and now we have Satan's plan for the believers. Okay? Now that's us. What's the plan? Keep us from doing what? Keep us from serving. What do you think the percentage in a normal church of the people who come on a Sunday morning, let's just say a church has... 400 people on a Sunday morning. What do you think the percentage is of those people who are actually doing ministry within the church or serving? 10%. Yeah. It, most, most would say between 10 and 20%. So that means 80 to 90% of the people are doing what? Coming and going. Now, ours is a lot higher than that. I can tell you that. That's a lot higher than 20%. But uh, it would be great if... Most of the people who came were serving. Wouldn't it be great? Because if you're not serving and you're not doing what God has for you to do, then Satan says, that's exactly where I want them. I don't want them doing anything because who knows? They may lead somebody to Christ. We don't want them to do that. Well, first of all, Ephesians 6, 12, we're in a what kind of battle? 
It's a spiritual battle. Man, uh, by the way, I want you to remember that Satan is limited. When you, we start thinking about our lives, he is limited. He is not God. He is a created being. He is powerful, but he is not as powerful as God. He is not everywhere. He can't know everything. It is not a toss-up between him and God. We talked about that a long time ago. It is not a toss-up. When God's ready, he will speak and it will be over. That's all he has to do. There is no toss-up. This angel who is so evil and so powerful is nothing compared to God. Nothing. Nothing. So you don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about that. What's he going to do to us? He seeks to destroy us. He doesn't want us to ever serve God. We're in a spiritual battle. He wants to have the wisdom of the world and not the wisdom of God. I mean, we can, we can as believers, can we live like the world? Sure we can. Listen, in fact, in that parable... The first seed hit the hard ground and never got to the person, right? They never were saved. Was the second seed saved? Did they produce any fruit? No. Was the third seed saved? Did they produce any fruit? No. Was the fourth seed saved? Yeah, and then there was some that produced fruit, right? So just think about it. If you look at that parable, two out of three Christians aren't producing any fruit at all. Does that look right? Maybe. Who knows? So we are in a battle, and so we, we want to do what God wants us to do. Okay, first of all, number one, he accuses us before God. That's what he does. He accuses us. Revelation 12.10, he is the accuser of the brethren. The word devil means slanderer. That's who he is. He's a slanderer. Let me ask you something. Does he have to lie about you? What, Debbie? Does he have to lie about you? He doesn't have to lie about me. If he said I'm a scoundrel, is he right? Yeah. Is, if I'm a liar... Am I evil? Do I have bad thoughts? Do you want your? Do anybody want your thoughts put up here? No. no. So, so does he have to lie to accuse us? No. no. But does he lie? Yeah. yeah he's evil. He's so bad. He even lies when he doesn't have to lie. Okay. He accuses us. He tells. Let me ask you. If he uh, if he went before God right now and said, "JB is evil, sinful." fallen man. He does not deserve to go to heaven. Is he right? Yes, yes he is right. Yeah, I, I don't deserve to go. But am I getting to go? Yep. Why? Because I have a Savior. Jesus did it all for me, so I, I get to go. Now, I've got here that we have help. Okay? We have help. I want you to turn to First John. When, when we are accused, when Satan accuses us, I want you to turn to First John chapter 2 for just a second, okay? When he accuses you, and he accuses you all the time, by the way. And sometimes we know about it, sometimes we don't. Sometimes, and, and sometimes we just sin. And let me ask you something. When you sin, what do you do? When you sin, what do you do? What are we supposed to do? Okay, because we, we, you know, we'll, we'll get into that because we talk about it, you know, confessing a sin is to tell on yourself. That's what it really is. But let's say that every one of us in this room lied. Okay, and, and, and then we say, okay, I'm supposed to confess it. And so I say, God, I, I'm sorry, I lied. You know, I lied. And Satan says, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. That's not, how's that going to help you? You're just going to tell him you lied? So what? Look at First John 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. What, is he, what does he want us not to do? We don't, we don't want to, he says, don't sin. However... If anyone sins, do we sin? Yes. Yeah. If anyone sins, we have an advocate, a defense attorney. That's what that word means. With the Father, 
Jesus Christ the righteous. When you sin and Satan were to say to you, you can confess that a hundred times, it's not going to do you any good. What do you say? Shut your mouth. I have an advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous. And what does the next verse say? And he himself is the satisfactory payment for our sins and not ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Do we have to worry about what Satan says about us? He, he accuses us all day long. And you know what we say? Shut up. I got Jesus. Jesus is my defense attorney. And you know what Jesus says? He says, sit down, Satan. It's already dealt with. I'm the payment for his sins. You don't have to worry. He can accuse you all he wants to. You can just look at him and go, it don't bother me. <laughs> right? Why? Jesus done it all. Okay, the second thing that he wants for us to do is to rely on human wisdom and operate in the flesh. You can just put it this way. Just serve in our power. Put it that way. D live in our power. That's what he really wants you to do. This is us. We have a body. We have a soul. We have a conscience. We have a flesh. We have a human spirit, which has been born again. And we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Is that not right? Is that us? Soul relates to the world. Conscience tells right from wrong. Flesh is the bent to sin. The Holy Spirit is the part that relates to God and cannot sin. And then here's God himself inside of us to empower us. Is that right? How are we supposed to live? Power of the flesh or the power of the Spirit? Power of the Spirit. But what Satan wants us to do is live in the power of the flesh. Sure, because if you live in the power of the flesh, you're out of fellowship. You have sin in your life. That's what he wants. He wants you to live your life out of the flesh. And A and B there, if you want to put down one, is, is pride. When you think you're good, you think you're okay, you think you can do better than anybody else. That's pride. And then the other one is, the B is that you, you live temporally. You're, you, you live for the world. You live for what's now. If you live for what's now, you're going to be happy or sad. If you're living for today, you're going to be happy or sad. If you see things from a temporal view, are you going to be happy or sad? Say it. Listen, this, is this it? Is this it? No. you got an eternity with Jesus Christ. You're going to have a new body. It's going to be everything. Okay? So you, you just can't worry about today. In fact, what did Jesus say? Don't, don't look for the things of the day. Seek ye first the what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. All that junk stuff will be added. And by the way, he says, don't store up stuff on earth where moth and stuff all tears it to pieces. Send it on to heaven. Send it on to heaven. So A is pride and B is just living for this temporal world. Now that's two things so far, right? Two things. He wants to accuse us, and he wants us to basically live in the power of the flesh. He wants us to live in our own strength. But there are two other things I want you to see. And this affects churches. This doesn't just affect individual believers. This affects the corporate body of Christ. And I want you to see it, and this is his plan. In Acts 20, verse 17, we don't, I, don't, I don't want you to have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you in just a minute. Paul met with the elders of the church at Ephesus. So write that down. Acts 20 verse 17. Paul meets with the elders at the church at Ephesus. And I want to read something to you. Now, 
Paul had gone to Ephesus, led people to Christ, started the church, stayed there for over a year and a half and taught the Bible, and then went other places. He leads, he brings the elders, the leaders of the church together, and he says, I want to warn you about two things. Acts twenty twenty nine, he says, I know after my departure, wolves will come in among the flock. That's false what? Teachers. False teachers. And then the next verse says, And from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. They are divisive people. Let me tell you. You know what his plan is? For the church. For the body. We've already seen what he's doing with each one of us. He wants to accuse us. He wants us to live in the flesh. But what's he going to do about the body? False what? Teachers and divisive. I had a friend that was in a church in this town. And uh, not our church. This is another church. He said, you know when I go to church? He says, my Sunday school teacher gives a message of salvation. The pastor gives a different message of salvation when he's up on the front. And the assistant pastor gives a different message of salvation. He said, none of us know what's right. Do you hear different messages of salvation in this church? No. So let me show you this. Let me show you what he does. This is what he wants to do. Number three, top of the next page, is he wants to infiltrate the church. Infiltrate the church. And that's with false teachers. Second Peter 2.1. Listen to this. There were false prophets among the people. Were there false prophets among the Jewish people? Yes. Now he's writing to the church. Peter says there were false prophets among the people. There will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Let me tell you what. There are people in churches that know what they teach is wrong, and they teach it wrong on purpose, and they, they do try to, try to destroy the church. Okay, I'm going to use Benny Hinn because, because he said it publicly. Benny Hinn's a false teacher. Y'all know that. Y'all know who Benny Hinn is, right? Anybody know who Benny Hinn is? I mean, he's kind of a weird guy. But, uh, he's he, yeah, he just, he's just weird. But his, te- his, his theology is way off. It's not biblical. Christianity Today, which is a Christian magazine, interviewed him about, oh, 10, 12 years ago. And they said, Benny, the things you teach aren't biblical. And he said, I know it, but I'm going to try to do better. Okay, there are people who know that what they teach is wrong. They know it's not from the Bible. That's false teachers. And some of them come in on purpose. And listen to what it says secretly introduced destructive heresies, denying the master who bought them. They're denying Jesus Christ. Listen, they're false teachers all the time. That's, that's 2 Peter 2.1. And 1 Timothy chapter 4, let me just read this one to you. You'll, you'll love this one. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrine of demons. Demonic teaching. Satan wants false teaching. He wants people to believe that the Bible's not accurate. He wants people to believe that salvation is by works. He wants people to believe that there's certain things not wrong. 
Listen, look at our culture. Look at the churches in this town. There are churches in this town that are openly contrary to the Bible and will tell you they are. The passage is going to deal with there's, there's judgment coming. It also says that let not everyone be teachers because there's a greater judgment on teachers. Why, why is there a greater judgment on teachers? You've got to be right. You've got to be right. You're exactly right. I, I mean, I don't take this for granted. You know, if I, if I don't know something, I'll just say, you know, I don't know. I mean, if I think I know something, I'll say, this is what I can see from the Bible. But I'm accountable to give you the most accurate view from Scripture that I can. And I can't make anything up, and I can't play around with this stuff. And there are people who are, who are false teachers who come into the body on purpose as they infiltrate, infiltrate the church. So how do, we do, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that? Let me tell you this. Let's say you came up to me and you said, I'd like to teach one of those SBI classes. What would I say to you? You better be through the 412 and the 22 before you can even think about getting to teach because we want to make sure you're on the same page, that you hold the gospel the way that we do, that you look at the Bible the way that we do, that you see the end times the way that we do, that you understand how to interpret the Scripture the way that we do. You've got to do that because we're not going to have three or four different messages. We're not going to have it. That's what happens at churches. That's why the false teachers come in. Well, that's well, I know, and there, there are people I had to call or things like that. Okay, so we have to agree on the major doctrine. Number four, what were the two things? False teachers, and what was the other one? Divisive people. He wants to cause division within the body. Second Corinthians chapter two. He he actually says that there's by the way there's problems in the body, and Paul writes and says. Forgive one another and get back in fellowship because we're not uh, unaware of Satan's devices. What does Satan want to do in the body? He wants people to get mad. He wants people to be upset. He wants people to not like each other. He wants people to not forgive one another. Let me tell you, the biggest issue in the local church is the lack of forgiveness. You may not think that. But just let somebody not speak to you on Sunday morning. And you go, they didn't speak to me. I, tell, I, don't, you know, I, don't, I, I used to like JB, but he didn't speak to me. I mean, he was walking down the aisle, and he went right past me like this, and he never even talked to me. So I, I used to like him. But, I'm not, you know, I don't, he better come over here and talk. I don't know. That's, that's what happens, right? Or somebody says something to you, and you don't like it. And you say, well, I'm not going to talk to them anymore. If they think they're going to be my friend, they're not going to be my friend. And all of a sudden, you've got division all over the body. What, what are you supposed to do if somebody hurts you? Forgive them. Do not cause division. Listen, listen uh, in Ephesians, it talks about the divisions within the body because of the issues. And then he goes on to say, therefore, be kind, tenderhearted, doing what? Forgiving one another just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Satan wants to divide the body. How many of you have ever heard of church splits? <laughs> and they're all over, aren't they? Over every issue in the world. And it's usually not biblical issues. It's usually not theological issues. It's the color of the carpet. It's we didn't like this. These people did this. They did me wrong. They didn't speak to me. They did this. They did this. It just goes on and on. So how do we deal with that? How in the world can you deal with divisive people? What's the first thing? 
forgive. You, got, you cannot have these divisions over petty, ridiculous things. Or if somebody does hurt you, what should you do? Forgive them, but go to them, and even they may never acknowledge they hurt you. What, what, what if, what if, Susie hurt my feelings really bad, and so I go to her and I say, Susie, I just wanted to talk to you about this because you know I really love you, but man, when you said that, that really hurt me. And she says, I don't care. Okay, now what am I supposed to do? Okay, that's it. Well, I ain't gonna be your friend no more. No, what do I have to do? Forgive. I have to forgive her, whether she ever says, I was wrong. Meaning she was, I was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. What, forgiveness is for us. Forgiveness, if you do not forgive, you will be bitter the rest of your life. And when you get bitter, there's divine. And that's the plan. The plan is that Satan will have people over here and they go, I don't like the music. Do you like the music? I don't like the music. I don't like, I don't like. And so we got our little group that we don't like the music. So we're going to cause some issues about this. And somebody else over here says, you know, I don't really like the way the youth group's running. I mean, they have these meetings. I don't like. And for, you know, you got this group of people over here. And then you go over here and you say, you know, I don't really like the pastor. I don't like. He, he goes over 12 every week. Well, past 12 o'clock every week. And you got, and so what do you have? Then you have all these divisions. Do you not this is what happens and satan's going i'm loving it because i'm dividing the body of christ and paul warned and said there will be people raised up in bodies bringing off people to themselves with their own views so that we can cause division and the only way you can deal with division is forgiveness is to love people and forgive them when the issues come be kind tender-hearted forgiving one another if you know you hurt somebody, go to them and say, I'm so sorry. I, I wasn't even thinking. I'm, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? And most people will. Even if they say, no, I'll never forgive you. And I'll say, I'm sorry. That's all I can do then. I've done everything I can do. All right. Okay. Well, I know. But what can you do? Okay. You're, okay. Here, you're saying that they did you wrong. You forgive them. And then what? And if they've hurt you. Well, they're not. The, the forgiveness isn't for them. Okay, sure, there could be issues, but the forgiveness isn't for them. It's for you. You forgive them. You, you're not expecting them to come back to you and say, I'm sorry. Because if you do, if you're waiting on them to come back and admit they're wrong or change it, you'll be waiting maybe the rest of your life, and you'll become bitter. So forgiveness is for us. It's not for them. Now, if somebody were to come to you and say, I, I know I messed up, yeah, will you forgive me? Of course I'll forgive you. That's fine. That's why when Peter said, what if a guy comes to me and says, do you forgive me? And you say, yes, I forgive you. How many times? 70 times 7. You forgive people every time. But whether they forgive you or not, you forgive them because it's really for you. We'll talk more about this some other time. Let's get to the end because time is, time is up. Applications, okay? Number one, know the plan of Satan. Know his plan. And we already know A and B. He wants you to doubt what? Doubt God's love. Doubt God's word. That's A and B. Number two, realize that unbelievers are deceived. Realize that unbelievers are deceived. They are. They're tricked. They're deceived. So what do we do? A, give the clear gospel. B, pray that the Holy Spirit will convict them and they will believe. Pray that the Holy Spirit will convict them and they will believe. Because the Holy Spirit convicts the whole world. So he's convicts them, but they may already be blinded. We don't know. C, live a life that shows a godly lifestyle. Live in such a way that you glorify 
your Father in heaven. That's C. Just live a godly lifestyle. How else are you going to reach them? And then number three is at the top of the next page. Number three, understand that believers are under attack. We're under attack. Understand that believers are under attack. He wants us to do what? He didn't want us to serve. He didn't want us to grow. So how do we ready? What do we do when he accuses us? We have an advocate. Just remember that. So it says accuses us, write it out. We have an advocate. Who is it? I'm sorry, question. Satan. Uh, I think that there are some places that the fallen angels... Are, and I haven't even got to that yet because the last three lessons, the last two lessons are going to deal with the demons and they do the same ministry that Satan does so they could accuse us as well. We just know for sure from the Bible that Satan accuses us. Okay, so if he accuses us, what do we do? Have an advocate. If it says rely on ourselves, what do we do? Walk in the Spirit. If there's false teachers, know the Word. So you know what the false teaching is. Let me throw this out. Do you know enough of the Scripture that when somebody tells you something that's wrong, that you recognize that it's wrong? Got to be able to do that, don't we? Because the writer of Hebrews says, by this time you ought to be teachers. You ought to be able to discern right from wrong. You ought to be able to know what the Bible says by this time. And he's writing to people that maybe have been believers for maybe a couple of years. Some of us have been believers more than a couple of years, so we should know. So if he accuses us, we have an advocate. If we rely on ourselves, we walk in the Spirit. If there's false teachers, we know the Word. And if, there's, if he tries to cause division, love and forgive one another.